Welcome, everybody, to Voice Report, the inaugural edition of your source of high school, college, and Philadelphia sports. And guess who we have coming on here today? Bishop McDevitt men's basketball coach, William Chavis, who has really turned this high school program around in just such a short time. Will Chavis taking his team, he's going to talk to us and come on to talk to us, whether it was taking his team into the Catholic League uh, semi or, uh, semifinals at the Plusher for the first time in over 30 years, uh, the great history that he has with the general himself, Robert Montgomery Knight, from his playing days at Texas Tech or playing here in Philadelphia at uh, Engineering and Science. Will also is going to talk about that, as a lot of people know, that Bishop McDevitt is on the verge of closing its doors due to financial uh issues with enrollment. Uh, there are certainly some stories um, that are going on that I've spoken with uh, Coach about, so we're not going to really mention much about it. But nonetheless, here is the interview with one of the great basketball coaches and players in the city of Philadelphia, Will Chase. All right, so we're rolling sound here uh, in uh, suburban Philadelphia. That's pretty much where I've been the last uh, uh, couple of months since back in uh, March. I haven't really tra- done much traveling, uh, and I'm talking on the line on this Sunday afternoon before Thanksgiving with the one and the only Bishop McDevitt men's basketball coach, Will Chavis. What's up, Willie? What's up, boys? How you doing? Oh, man. Uh, first of all, as always, it's pleasure to do this. Pleasure to talk uh, to see you, as always. Uh, what you got going on down? Uh, what you got going on these days? Um, not much. I mean, we... Uh... Lockdown has been pretty, pretty uh, devastated for the kids in, in, in basketball. They weren't, they're not really able to to do much. So this is really, you know, working. That's about it. Yeah, no, I I understand that completely. Um, let's talk about, um, you know, uh, right now. I, I know the big story is uh, two high schools in the Philadelphia area due to financial needs and uh, low enrollment, have forced uh, schools to close their doors down at the end of the school year, and that's your school and Hallahan High School. I want to talk a little bit about that later on. Uh, But first thing thing is first, uh, let's talk a little bit about you. You started here in Philadelphia. You went to ENS. Uh, what what was that really? What was that like for you uh, growing up here in the city and, and playing high school basketball here? Um, of course, Philly is my home from from West Philly section called Mantua, or better known the bottom. Of course, yes. Um, you know, my neighborhood growing up, we had a it was virtual basketball. We had a guy, a couple people, older people that you know were coaches and mentors like uh, James Wright, uh, Brother Leon, Chancey Dean, uh, Ron George, Greg Wright. Um, that was that was growing up. That's how. You know, the neighborhood, look, we all play basketball in a two-block radius. Um, we had about, I think it was 12 Division One players. Really? 12? Well, you, went to, you, went to, you went to a school with 12 Division One players? No, I went to, I went to uh, that was my neighborhood. Okay, gotcha. So I thought that, so you did go to E, but you did go to ENS though, correct? Yeah, I went to ENS. But you so wait, so the school down the which which school was this that was down the road that was um that had twelve D one players? No, this is my neighborhood. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. This was your all right, that's what I was because that's what I was trying to figure out. And uh, who and who were some of the names uh that went division one? Um, we had uh, myself, 
my brother, Darian. Okay. Um, we had uh, Craig Wise. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, Fred, sure. Fred Ward, Hakeem Ward. That's right. That's right. You grew up around the same time as uh, as, as Hakeem. Big-time player over at, uh, at, at Friends Central. So, all right, so you graduate from ENS, and you go on to play for uh, Bob Knight. I've heard so many stories about the general, uh, a guy who really was uh, near the end of his career after the run that he had at the University of Indiana. Uh, you you were also, uh, now correct me if I'm wrong, you were around the same time as Andre Emmett, if I'm correct? Yeah, um, Andre was a year younger than me. Yeah, Andre recently uh, passed not too long ago, and I I asked I I called you I think a couple days or maybe a day or so after. How close were you with with Andre? Yeah, me and Andre, we were close. I mean, as the the atmosphere at Texas Tech was always like it was really a competitive atmosphere. So Coach Knight always made it like we had to bond with each other almost to to get through because he was so difficult, you know, so we had to pull together because he always challenged us mentally and physically to, to stick together. So it was devastating news when I heard Andre was, was shot down in Dallas. It was for his mom, his, his girls, his family. It was, it was devastating to me. And, and Ronald Ross called me. Um, I'll never forget it was in the party. It was like, he told me like, Will Drayton was murdered, got shot in Dallas overnight and I was just I, I was done for a couple days so. I, I can't I can't imagine what you went through with someone like Andre and um, yeah no it's 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 um, he was a great player and fun to watch and I know he got some time a couple minutes I think in the NBA as well so now we focus on um, the general himself and again, um, the runs that he had with Indiana, the two national championships that he won, uh, he's always considered the greatest coach in the history of college basketball. Now, what did you learn from someone like Coach Knight? Um, the thing that I take away the most is he always used to say, Coach Beard, Chris Beard at Texas Tech uses now, uh, he's the model 4-1. to one. And what that means is mental is to physical is 4-1. to one. So he would always talk about the mental aspect of basketball more than, you know, the physical aspect being four times as important. So if I could, if I, I always say that, one thing that I learned is that you have to prepare um, everything that you do. And I tell my players that to this day, like, we're not prepared, we're not, we're not doing anything. So, yeah. Did you set, and, and, and these days, um, as you're now the head coach at Bishop McDevitt, uh, you have, it just seems kids want to just transfer. They want to leave the city or they want to leave their respective schools and they want to come and play for you. And this year's team, because you and I have spent a great deal of time, whether we were in Baltimore for the big event at St. Francis, or we just spent time last week down in, uh, in Wilmington and we were at the Big 64. I've had the chance to see two of the biggest transfers this past year of uh, Naeem Walker, Justin Moore coming over from Cheltenham High School. And it's amazing to believe. That's why when I had found out that, that Bishop McDevitt was, or again, I know that they have, when, when you, before we spoke, uh, you know, before we did this interview, we spoke on the phone, 
And it's like, it's sort of like a, I know what's going on, but I don't really know kind of like what's going on. And it just seems in the last couple of years, you've been like, like, you're pretty much everywhere in the Philadelphia area because your school has completely turned around. Now, I get it. Years ago, when I broke into the Catholic League, and I've been, you know, I've been in the Catholic League over uh, probably five or six years, when the old coach was there, nobody wanted to go. Nobody knew anything about McDevitt. Now, I know people would come on uh, their tradition, and I know people would come on, you know, for, I guess, uh, because they didn't really have any other choice. Now, my question, my my question is: Are people making this a priority to come to this school? Um, I think I think certain kids just um, I think certain kids just just like what we do, and they see what we do, and they just try to uh, they just want to be a part of that. I don't think people are making it per se a priority. No, that's that's true. Um, because I still I still I still don't have like a Jalen Dorian or something no. like that. No, 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 and, and, and you know you got to remember the guy transfers down to Florida along with Justice Williams, but you do have at last year and probably the last two years, you did have Rob Smith, former Roman standout, who actually wasn't even really a standout. He was having trouble. He played, he played freshman basketball at Roman. Exactly, and he didn't really fit in over there. And he came to McDevitt, you turned him into a different person. You turned him into a first-team all-PCL player. I mean, you did it with him. You did it with Amir Harris, who's now playing, I believe, Division II basketball. Uh, Smith is over at Westchester. Uh, you've had, you know, with, uh, you know, Jamil Monago and, uh, and, and Kevin, you know, you've been able to build a national powers. And let's not forget, over the years, Bishop McDevitt has struggled in attendance. You got there, you'd sell out every single night. I mean, has that been something that, did you think that was something you could ever do, um, you know, getting there? Or did you just think you were going to kind of play this by ear? Um, honestly, it almost didn't happen. I, uh, I uh, I almost wasn't hired by McDevitt. Actually, I wasn't hired by McDevitt at first. I interviewed. Um, I didn't get the job. They gave it to someone else. Really? I didn't. I didn't know that. Yeah, and that guy. That guy actually turned the job down. That's why. I, and, and do you remember who it was? I have no idea who it was, oh, okay. but I just know that they told me that you know they offered the job to somebody else. And then, like, I think it was like a couple weeks later, they called me back and said the guy didn't. He didn't take the job. And would I be interested? And I said yes. I I, I interviewed at Bishop McDevitt and Conwell Egan, and I didn't get either one of them. That's very interesting. I now okay. So so let's kind of go um, kind of dive back. You're playing at uh, Texas Tech under both Bob Knight and now the current head coach Chris Beard. Now my question to you is that here you are three years later coaching at McDevitt. You've taken your team down to the Palestra. Uh, for the first time again in over three decades, did you ever feel like coaching was going to be in your forte? What did you want to do when you got out of college? That's that's my question to you. You wanted to be a pro basketball player. Yeah, I did, and I also um, I had a, I had my son very young. He uh, I was twenty one years old, so I was broke. They had 
have any money. So it was kind of, it was kind of uh, either go to medical school, which Coach Knight told me that he thought I should do. He recommended I do. Why medical school? Yeah, I didn't have. No, no. Why medical school, Will? In college, I was pre-med. Oh, okay. And yeah. and did you plan? And did was that really in the um, in the plans? Yeah, it was kind of in the plan. Um, but I got offered to go play basketball, so it was immediate uh, injection of income. So I had a family to take care of, um, and I just went with that. You went overseas, if I remember, to Germany, and you met your wife uh, over there. Um, how much uh, success do you felt uh, or feel like you had when you went over uh, to Germany? Yeah, um, Germany was my last stop. I went to. Oh, where'd you go first? first yeah, the first place I was in, I was in France for like a month. Okay. So, um, then I went to Italy for like a couple months. Then I went to the Czech Republic. Then I went to Amsterdam. I went to Iceland for a while. I went to, um, trying to think where else. Well, you, you know what? I mean, you, again, have had the opportunity to be a professional athlete. And you've also had the opportunity to become a major D1 athlete. Um, and what are some of the um, uh, big moments that you could say that you had while we'll, we'll start with, uh, let's start with ENS. Um, what are, what were, what was one of the most memorable where you could say that's the one moment I'll, I'll remember forever. The one moment I'll remember forever is when, um, when we were playing, um, and it sounds crazy, but for three years, I made honorable mention all public three years in a row when I knew like playing around the city, that I, I could be a better player than I than I was playing, and I could do more. But we had Lynn on the team at that time; he scored a lot of points. So I kind of just played my played my role, what the coach wanted me to do. So I played defense, pass the ball. Um, but one of the most memorable things was when, um, you know, Coach Brown he benched me for whatever reason, and we were playing Strawberry Mansion at Strawberry Mansion. They had Flip Murray, Kevin Forney. And it was there. They had a really good team. They didn't lose that mansion. And I didn't get in the game until probably the second half. And when it, when I got in the game, we were losing by, I think it was a double digits, probably about 17. And we ended up winning that game. And Kobe Bryant's father, Joe Bryant, yes. uh, walked up. Walked up. We were walking home. My dad and I were walking for on uh, used to be more. We saw Joe Bryant. He said. Um, he said, "Just keep working. Nobody can deny you." And wow! I think that, that in my in my that must have been that must have been amazing that you and your dad got the opportunity to meet the great Joe Jellybean. And I know, obviously, uh, back then when you were playing, you know, nobody really would. Well, I mean, people were talking about Kobe, but I mean, when you're hearing it from a guy that, that was at the time, was he still? He wasn't with the. He was retired. He wasn't with the Sixers anymore, right? He was. He was, he was um, actually at LaSalle University. That's right. That's right. He was coaching. No, you know what? He was. Um, he was coaching with Speedy. I think, if I'm correct. Yep. And and that must have been really cool uh, as a as a kid to get that opportunity to just you know. I mean, every kid. I've if I've learned anything being you know in this business, I feel like every kid. 
that gets to meet their heroes or gets to meet these coaches, they just they go crazy going, hey, mom, dad, or and they tweet stuff out now on Instagram or on you know, on Twitter and, and and Facebook and just say, I got a chance to meet a college coach. I, I that that's like I said, that must have been really nice for you to do that, even though back then you didn't have social media to post to show proof. Yeah, the reason why the reason why I remember it so vividly is because he validated my hard work. You know, when I coach, that's what I try to do with the kids. Like, oh, so he really helped you become a coach? It seemed. No, he, he didn't help me become a coach, but he gave me the confidence because someone recognized that I actually was working hard. You know, when I got in the game, I really tried to work hard. I tried to play the right way to win. Yes. You know, so. Him coming up to me, being a basketball person, saying, "You know, I, I see what you're doing. I see what you did, and just keep doing it." That kind of validated me to to move forward, to keep working hard. And then the next year, you know, I was all city. I was all city player. So, and, so um, he he was like he was like the kind of like the engine that got you revved. That's kind of what it seems. I mean, you just needed that confidence level from a guy like a Joe Jellybean. And you just said pretty much this answer. It seemed like you're answering your own. Uh, you just proved yourself right, saying, "I can do it. I can be the best player in the Philadelphia Public League." And you did that. You showed that as you were. You just said you were first team in in the pub. I, you just yeah. needed kind of like the kick in the butt, right? Yeah, I mean, I had other people. Sunny Hill, well, Coach Horace Owens. That Coach helps. Owens. I mean, I had people around me that were that were, you know. Very uh, complimentary. Well, that's true. I just wasn't accomplishing that level in school. Now did Sunny? Now did um, you? You mentioned uh, Sunny Hill, Horace Owens, big names here in the city of Philadelphia. Sunny, who runs the Sunny Hill League, and Horace has been, uh, whether he was playing or uh, coaching for. I mean, again, I could. I always remind people that he's over a hundred. Uh, Horace is easily well, actually. Sonny himself is well over a hundred years old <laughs> as well. I mean, they they just bring at least that type of experience. Um, what did you learn from both of them? Um, it's funny because I, I I talked to Horace often. He told me um, he told me he gave, told me a story about myself that I didn't I didn't remember. It sounds crazy. Okay, I just told you a situation that I did remember in high school that someone else said to me. But I didn't remember what he said that I said to him. So I, he told me, he said, well, you don't remember this, but he was like, I knew that you were going to be, you know, successful in life. When you came up to me, and I, at that time I had, like, Terrence Cook, the coach at, uh, at Mastery North. I had Zakeem Smith, Kevin Forney. These were, like, good guards yeah, yeah. in my era. So, you know, I came to the team. I'm from West Philly. So I was playing with North Philly, so I was the, like the newcomer. And, you know, he came up to me and I told him, Horace, I don't care about starting. I just want to win. So, yeah, no, no. So, but yeah, you just wanted to, you just wanted to be the best of the best. You're like every, and I feel like you're like every coach. And I'll give you an example. Um, Steve Massiello, uh, one of the first interviews that I really ever did in college basketball uh, they had just beaten Penn, and Steve walked into the press room at the Palestra. And even though his team had just won, then I remember I asked him a question. This was like his first year that he was coaching at Manhattan, where he's been ever since. And he says to me, 
I'm not happy. I'm very disappointed in my team's performance. I expect it to be a better game. Yes, I give a lot of credit. Penn's a very good basketball team, and they're very well coached, but that's not good enough. Uh, I want to win every time. And it kind of seems that a lot of coaches are kind of living uh, by that type of matter. It, it kind of seems like you, you're doing this. Well, you have to win. We all have to win. Everybody wants to um, I think even the, you use the Jamie Foxx any given Sunday line as the whole goal is to be number one in life. Right. But, I mean, with high school basketball, it's a little bit different because yeah. to me, winning is, is helping these kids get to where they want to go. Of course. I mean, I think that I think that goes to part of the reason why I think kids would like to actually come play for us at McDevitt is because not only who, me as a coach, but, you know, Rasheed Sims as a, as a Assistant coach Sean Harris, um, Ellison Hill. Like we have a we have a group of guys. And, know, and, Darryl, and and Daryl. Don't forget about Daryl. Yeah. yeah, we have a group of guys that you know just care about the kids and care about their well being. They do. They really do. Um, yeah, there again. You you've done as I mentioned before. You've done a great job. So now we kind of move over to Texas Tech. And if there was one moment you could say that's the one thing I'll remember forever, what was it? Um, I just remember when he, Coach Knight said to me, it was one of our first practices at Texas Tech, and it was a loose ball on the floor, and I didn't dive for the ball. And he yelled at me and said, no, no, I, I wouldn't expect you to say any curse words, but I'm sure he used a lot of profanity. Um, you know, uh, yeah, he was uh, <laughs> he was he was a piece. He's a stickler. I know that. Yeah, he basically said, you know, that I'm I must not be from Philly because I'm not I'm not I wasn't tough because I didn't dive on the floor. <laughs> he said, you know, I coached, he told the whole story, but I coached the player, Michael Brooks. Yes. He's one of the toughest guys, even to say it like that, I ever coached. So then the next loose ball, I, I make sure I'm the first one on the floor, dive on the yes. floor, get the ball. <laughs> and I'd never forget, he ran over and he helped me up. Really? Yeah, I mean, he did. He, he grabbed me, and I was like, and he ended practice on it because. I actually, it was towards the end of practice, and I literally, it was like, I didn't even really have to do it, but I just did it because I just wanted to prove to him that, you know, I'm not soft at all. You know what I mean? So, me and another guy, I think it was Andre in there, actually. Yes. We went down the floor, Andre bigger than me, and I just stripped the ball from him by diving on the floor, and he just ran, Coach Knight just ran over like, Andre was six eight compared to compared to you. He had half a. If I was correct, I think he had like half a foot on you. So I mean, Andre was a voice. Andre was six three in the quarter. I really? Who am Everybody, I thinking? Who am I thinking of that was six eight? I swear I thought. Oh, Emmett was. That's right. Emmett was a guard. I kept thinking he was a forward. <laughs> Yes. Okay. That's that's where I always that's where I always get that uh, uh, messed stuff. But yes, I do remember. Yes, Emmett was a guard and a very good one. I do remember that you had great battles uh, with him, and I, I'm glad that at least Bobby Knight didn't have to yell at you at least uh, more than once. And you know, is there any moment you could comment on about overseas where you could say? Um, 
uh, I'll remember forever. Um, and what country was it that uh, was it? Germany was the one that really is where you kind of stood out, and and I'll remember forever. Yeah, um, but when I played in Czech Republic, I had a game where we lost to a team from Prague. Okay, and the point, and the point guard was talking. He was from Serbia. He was really talking a lot of trash. Yeah. So, like two weeks before, we lost to him by like nineteen in Prague. So when they came to our home. I just remember not sleeping the night before. Like, I was really anxious to play him. And I ended up scoring 61 points. I still hold the record in Czech Republic for points in the game. I, I don't, I, I can't, I'm not surprised about that. Yeah. How, how many, which is how, how many is that in a game? Yeah, and I, I came out the game with eight minutes left. Just, just so, at him. yeah. How many, how many points, which is how many points? Um, you said you hold the most, uh, the record for most points, which is how many? Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! That does not. Why does that not surprise me? That in your day, you were the guy that could put up that many points. Yeah. That that is um, that is that's that's like Kobe. That's like Michael Jordan and Kobe numbers, my friend. Yeah, and, I, and it's crazy because Kobe just scored eighty-two, like like the day before. So I said to myself, and that's why I was anxious. I'm like, I'm really going through this guy dirty. <laughs> um, I didn't sleep. I was anxious the day before. And when I got to the game, I actually felt a little bit tired. But I told myself, I don't care what happens. I don't care about die on the court. Like, this guy is not winning. And um, What was his name? Attitude. Do you remember his name? Uh, I, don't, I don't remember his do name. You, is he still playing? He was from Serbia. I know that for sure. Yeah, but do you – so I guess my question to you is, is was he – did he end up making the league or uh, – Remember, you never. So you never got his. Uh, you never got a name, or you just remembered the guy was talking. Tra- uh, yeah. Well, uh, again, I mean, and that he got here, he played like he played like the Euro League, Adriatic League. So he, he had a name. That's, a, that's one of the. That's one of the best. I'll tell you this. That's one of the best leagues in the country. Uh, do you remember having um, any like? I guess great moments or experiences playing in that league. I mean, do you remember like uh, being able to? Uh, because you know, I always tell people that uh, you know when you're not in the NBA, European basketball is some of the best basketball, if not the best basketball in the world. Paul Hewitt spoke at a coaches clinic and said, "I love the style of the European basketball league." What did you learn from that? Um, I learned a lot. I mean, I learned a whole lot. And, and one of the things I take, I remember we were playing. Just to answer your question about we were playing a Euro Cup game, Cup game, and uh, we were playing team. Veritas Bologna, they had yep. uh, Travis Best was the point guard. Right? That's you played Travis Best. He he must have been the tough. He was. You want to talk about a guy who IQ was through the roof. Lefty who could shoot it like there was no tomorrow. But he was such a great floor general. Now, did you end up matching up against him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we played. We played Veritas Bologna. They had Travis Best. They had Brett Blizzard, Christian Dreyer. Um, they had the big kid Lang from North Carolina, so we're playing this team, and um, I just remember like Lang setting the screen. Travis Best pace that he played at, like he was really good at changing speed. So, and during the game, you know, I, I was working really hard, and that's what I did. I always had to fight and work hard. But he told me, he says, and I think he's like, you know, it kind of sucks. He said because you're really good. He's like, but you're working too hard, team. I was like, 
like, what do you mean? Like, just, he's like, you're better. You know, you're just working too hard. And he ended the game with like nine points, like six assists. And he just really had a, a, a easy game, it felt like. You know, like, of course, you know, I tried to pressure him, but the way that he could just change speed, I was unable to pressure him. So in that, in that moment, I learned a lot. Just about, and I was young, so I learned a lot about just how to pace and how to play the pace in the game, change the game a little bit. Because you in, in college, you learn like go fast, go hard all the time. You know what I mean? Like you don't learn sure. like how to control the pace of the game. I I, I always uh, was a big fan of of Travis uh, from his days uh, in high school, and then of course when he got to the NBA. And ended up playing uh, for the Pacers, and I, I always he had such an amazing chemistry with uh, with Reggie Miller. Uh, he he did go on to become uh, one of the greatest guards, and of course I loved him in the movie with Ray Allen. He got game where he was, uh, you know, uh, I think uh, Sip uh, Sip Rogers, if I'm correct. Uh, he what was just kind of funny because um, he was kind of like a drink on the court, you know. I, I know. People use the like like those phrases of who are you know like uh, with those nicknames, um, but no, he really was uh, he was somebody I really enjoyed and was a big fan of uh, watching. And then you go to um, you know to coaching, uh, you know again being in your third season at McDevitt. Uh, what have you learned? Uh, because we all know the Catholic League is one of if not the toughest leagues in the United States. What have you learned uh, thus far? I just learned a lot about how the politics of, of the game goes, honestly. I also learned a lot about, you know, what matters most in terms of high school basketball. It's coming from a professional viewpoint. You know, you look at it kind of differently, but, you know, just being around kids and learning and building a rapport with them and the parents and learning the whole landscape of basketball now has really changed when I played as a high school player. No parents were really involved as when I played high school basketball. That's true. You didn't, didn't see a lot of parents on the Sunny Hill League like screaming and yelling. Oh, yeah. No, it, it's definitely the evolution of basketball has changed. Now the parents are more involved in the kid's life, but more importantly, they're more arrogant. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think that kind of, that's one adjustment that, you know, you have to make as a, as a coach and, and as in your age bracket, just for myself, you know, not being used to that, to that being around basketball. So that's one thing that I had to adjust to. Um, also with, with, you know, uh, the coaching style, not having a shot clock. I learned, I learned a lot about holding the ball. <laughs> <laughs> we all have. <laughs> there, you know what? There's, there's so many different coaches that seem to be doing that nowadays. Um, yeah, I, I'm. I'm. Uh, you gotta. Is there a possibility that you think down the road they're going to get a shot clock here in Pennsylvania? I hope so. I mean, I think it's detrimental to the kids that are going to. I think it was a statistic that came out like fifty something percent of the kids that played the Catholic League transfer schools after their first in their first two years or something like that. Yeah. No. That's, that's kind of. Uh, that's kind of disappointing to me because I think that just goes to show you that they're not being prepared to play at a certain level. Because they they're get the shot clock. Yeah, because they get the shot clock. 
in the pros, and they do it as well in the Catholic, uh, or I'm sorry, in the in the college level. Who are some of the best? Uh, I guess who are some of the coaches? I should say that you've been able to coach against that you could say, I wish I could coach against him a bunch of times. Um, I think the guy from Gill St. Bernard's is really good. Oh, uh, Bergen. Yeah, Bergen Cena. Okay. When you played last year in the in the New Jersey event, the Metro Classic, uh, you had the opportunity to go up. So uh, what did you like the most about Bergen? Um, I just like how I could just tell they were, they were well coached about how they executed and all the kids were pretty, they were pretty skilled, and they didn't go outside of, they weren't playing to be flashy, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It wasn't like an open, free game, it was like a, it was like a high-level skill. And they move the ball well, they're consistent, um, Mergen loves, his, and, and, and really takes good care of his kids, um, you know, he, his own son, uh, I don't know at the time that when you played against him that he was there, but uh, he coached his son, Jared, who ended up having a great college career. And he also had a really good uh, high school career as well. And, you know, he Jared always said that um, his father has is one of the big reasons why he is where he is. Uh, you know, he loves ball movement. He loves passing. Uh, he loves uh, scoring. But he also, uh, uh, he loves ball pressure. And that's something that I think he did... I think your kids were. I feel like they were a little off guard in that game because of that ball pressure. Yeah, and we we also that was that was kind of bad. This is another thing I learned about scheduling. That was our third game in four days. Yes, we, I remember that. You had actually just did you have a double? Now correct me if I'm wrong. Did you have a double overtime game the night before? Yeah, we played a tough game the night before. Archbishop Wood, right? I think it was Wood. Yeah, it was. I didn't think because I talked to because I talked to you Super Bowl Sunday, I think it was a week. Oh, you know what? Yes, yes, it was Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, it wasn't Wood. I think it was. I think it was Ryan. Ryan. Okay, so, gotcha. Yeah, Joseph. Uh, okay, and you had just got you. You lost. Correct. You lost that game. Uh, we won. I think we won that game. But I think we played a Metro Classic in February. So I think correct. It was like towards you, the end of the year, so we had to like double up a lot of games to fit them in. So that was kind of a bad scheduling, but I mean, it was an opportunity for the kids to see, but I, I mean, I just scheduled the games bad. And I learned that uh, even with even with the Wood game last year, moving the game up, it kind of, I think it kind of hurt us also. We weren't prepared. We didn't play any games really before that. So, you know, finishing 12 and 2, you look back at stuff like that, it's like, all right, you might not be ready. Should have played a couple games before. But, we talked I mean, to yeah we we I think yeah. all the coaches in the league, the Catholic league, do a really good job with their team. So, but we talked about we talked about this. I think when I came to you had just got you just beat Newman Garetti on the on Super Bowl Sunday. You and I sat down at the end of the game and we talked about how um, I had thought because I really had not seen you since the Metro, and I just remember telling you that you know I was sorry about what happened. And then you kind of turned to me and you said, well, we weren't ready for that game. We had just come off a double overtime game uh, with, with I now know it was it was Ryan. And we know we could have played better, but we were out of, uh, you know, we were kind of out of sync. We had to drive up to Tom's River after playing, you know, again, a kind of a, like a, just kind of playing a marathon. Well, it was a marathon. It was a marathon with Ryan. 
And then you kind of had to get right back to work. And remember, I, I don't know if you remember, but I sent you, didn't I send you a scouting report on uh, Gill, I believe? Yeah, you did. I did. Yeah. I sent the scouting report to tell you that that team can press you, but they can shoot the ball as well as anybody. And that's why they're one of the most respected teams uh, in Jersey. And again, like I said, um, you know, if you are still coaching next year at Bishop McDevitt, I do believe that you will be playing more of these once this virus, you know, once nature takes its course, I really look forward to seeing McDevitt playing these national type of teams. In the Catholic League, we have some of the best coaches, I think, in the country. John Bosco, Joe Zaglinski, Matt Griffin, uh, we've Speedy Mar- the, the Hall of Famer, Speedy Morris, uh, Devin Prep's got a decent coach. Miguel uh, from West Catholic, Boca Chica, uh, and uh, just and so on and so. Carl, of course, at Newman Garetti. Um, who are some of the best coaches you've got up against in that league? Um, I think all of them are good. Yeah, I think every coach prepares their team well. Um, you forgot to mention the guy in LaSalle. Yes, really yes, Mike, um, uh, yes uh, Mike McKee. And then Joe Dempsey, of course. I think you coached against him for a year. Yeah, Dempsey did a great job. Um, yeah. Every coach in the Catholic League is, is, is good. Harrigan is coming back in and saying those prep. So. How, how exciting. And how exciting is that? And then just uh, last week, depending on what any, when you're listening to this, uh, Jason making the first big hire. Well, he had a he had a pre uh, an assistant. Uh, I forget off the top of my head who he was bringing in with him. But Malik Wayans, who just recently retired from professional basketball, whether he was playing uh, with the league or overseas, is going to be coaching at the prep. Now, how big a hire is that? Yeah, I think it's great for the kids at the prep. I mean, I think that he has a. A good knowledge base of basketball. He's been he's played at every level. So I mean, I think it's it's an awesome opportunity to coach um, by someone like that. That was a good addition to his staff. You mentioned Speedy Morris. Uh, over fifty years of coaching, uh, you had the chance every year for three years to face that guy. Uh, it's just a amount of respect that people have for him. Uh, what was he really like to you? Speedy taught me something while coaching against him. That's how good he was. I mean, and Randy Monroe is also a great guy um, that I look up to, you know. Um, but he just he just did a really good job. And he, like I said, he taught me something while coaching him. What was it, by the way? He mastered the art of holding the ball. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't surprise me because that's Speedy for you. <laughs> he he, you know what? And what what I learned about Speedy. Um, as a kid, when he was coaching, because when I grew up, uh, I know you're a little bit older than me, so you probably go back to when he was probably coaching at, I want to say, uh, yeah, probably around the LaSalle, because that's really when I grew up, it was when he was still in his prime at LaSalle University, and he was coaching like Tim Legler and Craig Conlon, who was at Episcopal Academy, or uh, I basically grew up to the Doug uh, Overton and L Train era. Uh, that's how far back I go with him coaching. And and do you feel like he? Um, well, first of all, do you feel like he was the face of the Catholic League? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you have to speed has been in for so long. I mean, think over what fifty years. Think about it. there's three. And think about it. Well, there's like there's. 
I want to say there's Matt Griffin, there's Carl Aragale, there's Kevin Funston at Bonner, there's, um, I think that's it, actually. Mike McKee. Mike McKee. And Mike McKee, you just, you know, you just pretty much add it. So you've got all of them, and they all played for Speedy, um, and they've all said the same thing. I wouldn't trade playing for that guy. I wouldn't trade anything for playing for that guy. And, he might have played for uh, Dennis Setter. I'm not sure, though. Uh, you might be right about that one. But that, nonetheless, um, you know, like you said, we have such great coaches in the Catholic League. And what can you say about people like John Mosco and Carl Aragale and, um, and, and you know, all these new coaches we have now, you know, um, the coach from O'Hara, I, I I absolutely love him. I think he's doing he's gonna do such a great job over there. Um and then, you know, Devin Prep's coach, I I think he's gonna do a great I I'll tell you, the one person that I think is the most underrated coach in the Catholic League, Will, honestly, beside you, and I have to mention that you're underrated because we're here on the voice report, <laughs> is Miguel. Miguel Boca Chica, because it just seemed that when you first started in the Catholic League, we had a coach by the name of Jason uh, Hassan. It just seemed like he didn't want the job, though. It just seemed like he just kind of wanted to guide these kids through until he found his next calling. Am, am I wrong about that? Um, I have no idea. I didn't really talk to Jason. Really? Now, I thought you were were the coach. Now, you weren't the coach at the time that he was coaching. Yeah, I was. The first but, year, I was. Okay, but you didn't really know him. Yeah, I didn't really know. Okay, well, I I, I just, I I learned, well, first of all, I always tell people the story that I've known him longer than he's known his wife because I remember when he was coaching with Bob Hurley at the late St. Anthony's. and Jason. Oh, yes. So Jason actually started coaching um, probably when he was probably in his 20s. And yes, I... He actually. Ter- this is the. This is what's interesting about about this guy. That guy terrified me when I first started working in the New Jersey uh, area. Right. I was terrified of that man. I was like scared to go up to him. If I were to go up to him and say hello, he'd just like probably curse you out and say, "Get out of here! Go on! Go away!" And it just. He got better as he when he became. So he got his first break. When he became the coach at Pope John Twenty Three, and as a lot of people know, and I, I don't know if you know, but he coached, he won a state, and uh, he finished a runner-up in the tournament of champions because he had a front court that was from a different country. He had um, Australia and Dominican Republic, and I believe the People's Republic of Congo. Um, he actually, coincidentally, you actually know who he is, Mustafa Jang. He's at LaSalle now, or he was at LaSalle. So Mustafa Jang, who was ineligible, yes, ineligible for two years in the NCAA, finally got to play, or at least he got to be a part of his final year for Ashley Howard. Now, I don't know if he's still at the school, but Mustafa, yes, Mustafa was raised in the was raised here in the new or out in the New Jersey area. In fact, his uh, Jason's um, in laws. Uh, took him in because they have a lot of host families at that school. But my point is, is that when it comes to um, just the 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 
the coaching in the Philadelphia Catholic League, it's always going to be about um, what do you do for your kids? How do you make your kids better? How do you get them offered? And it just seems that every coach, and even, like I said, I, I, I forgot his name, but now I just remember Ryan Nemitz is doing a great job do, of that over there at O'Hara. And I really like Kevin Funston, too. I think Kevin has done a great job since taking over at Bonner. He's bringing in some pretty uh, high high praise type of kids. Absolutely. No, I, I really believe that. And you're, of course, uh, you yourself, as always, are doing a phenomenal job with Naeem coming in and, and Justin uh, coming in. All right, let's get ready for the season itself. Uh, again, there's been a lot of talk about what's going to happen right now. If the season started today, only you, LaSalle, Carol, and I believe Devin Prep and Archbishop Wood would only be allowed to play because due to the restrictions, no Philly team again can play. Um, what's the outlook uh uh, go uh, for you. How good is this team? Uh, you know, I've had a chance again to see you a lot this off season. Yeah, I think that we're we're going to have some um, going to take some time for us to get together because we weren't really together playing a lot. Like even in some of the events that you saw, we didn't have everybody. I think we only played one event with everybody, and that was down there. Um, that was down in Maryland. Yes. And then we, you know, we took, we had a chance to beat Mount Zion. Yes. Um, yes. That was our first time playing. And then, of course, the buzzer beater uh, against, right. you know, that buzzer beater uh, against that school out of uh, Baltimore. Um, that was, uh, you know, Baltimore Poly. That was definitely, uh, you know, that that was a heartbreaker. Uh, but you got a chance to really play against some of the best uh, of the best. And, uh, again, I always love uh, whenever I get to uh, watch you coach because it just reminds me of thinking, this guy really cares. Now, we're actually running a, a little out of time because, again, we've got about close to 10 to 15 more minutes before we run out of tape. I wanted to just do a quick tidbit on this Bishop McDevitt thing. I know it's kind of a, a hit-or-miss type of thing. Uh, chance, I think it's uh, change.org. Uh, is It was run by a friend of ours, Mark, from the PIAA, who runs the PIAA Sports page on Twitter. We've got so far over 1,600 people that are have signed this petition. You and I have both done that. What can we do to keep Bishop McDevitt again open? Oh, that's a great question. Yes. But, um, I, don't, I don't know. I think, I think that if we just, you know, stand in solidarity and just show that there's a, a passion to keep the school open. Maybe maybe they'll reconsider. But at this point, honestly, that's a question that I really would not be able to answer. I just know that a lot of alumni are like, you know, they're really upset about it, but they're, they're angry or they're hurt. And, you know, I just think they're not going to go out without a fight. And I, I really respect that. So I just, you know, we don't know either way. I hope that they reconsider, but... Um, yeah, I, I really, like I said, because it just seems like this is only the beginning for McDevitt basketball. I mean, and then, you know, last night, McDevitt, actually, and congratulations um, to Bishop McDevitt football and new athletic director Mike Watkins reaching the state finals. How exciting was that for you? Um, I think it was great for Mike and his program. Um, I think they actually ended up losing to Southern Columbia. No, I thought they would. No, they won that game. They're in the finals, I believe. Hold on, let me check. Yeah, 
No, no. No, I'm telling you, they won yesterday. They're in the finals. And they lost. They lost. Uh, they did? Yeah, they lost. They wow, I, I lost. thought they made it all the, to the finals. Well, you've got to be – well, regardless as it is, uh, we'll we'll edit that out. And we'll just say that uh, – <laughs> we'll just say congratulations to them. But, but that must have – but still, that was very exciting to make it that far. Uh, you're right. They did go to the semifinals. Um, they made history. Right. That they didn't go to the – but they didn't get, reach the finals. But you must have been very excited for your school. And it really does seem that this – because that's that's one of the. This is just kind of answering my uh, my question of why close down Bishop McDevitt. The athletics have been great. Uh, enrollment is getting better. I know it was tough in the past. Why would would you want to close a school down like McDevitt? That's a great question, and it is a very uh, a very uh, good question. When you look at it, um, I think only the powerhouse schools like Saint Joe's Prep. And maybe answer what other schools from the Catholic League? Well, they've been trying to talk. I don't know if you know, they've been trying to close with the new archdiocese, uh, you know, and I talked to, um, you know, Ed McGettigan, who's the assistant at Archbishop Wood, has been saying something like this might happen. And they're going to start bringing in more Catholic League teams, like Bishop Shanahan is eventually going to join the Catholic League. And John Doherty, you know, is, you probably know John pretty well, because John uh, has, um, I believe his son goes to Archbishop Wood. And John wants to try to join that league. And I think they're going to try to do that with a lot of different suburban Catholic schools, maybe move them into the uh, into the Philadelphia Catholic League. They were talking like Newman could possibly close its doors, uh, you know, schools like uh, Roman. I, I know it's, but you got to remember, it's you have to understand the enrollment. And over the years, Northeast Catholic has closed out its doors. West Catholic was supposed to close. Bonner was supposed to close. We were fortunate that all these alumni were able to, you know, were able to step up. We're hoping again, the clock is running for Bishop uh, McDevitt and Will Chavis again. I, I just want to say thank you for for being here on the Voice Report. A pleasure as always to see you, my friend, and uh, uh, my regards, of course, to your family. Uh, I know that you're um, quarantining right now because of. Uh, there was some things that happened with, uh, you know, with some of your kids at so, at some of the fall events. Uh, continue to stay positive and stay safe during this time, and hopefully, we'll see you during the regular season. All right, boys. Thank you for having me. Hey, come on, you know, uh, we're we're definitely happy to have you again. And uh, Jake Schwartz again here on the inaugural edition of the Voice Report, which you can find again on Apple, Spotify, iTunes, and Anchor, alongside again Bishop McDevitt coach Will Chavis.